0: Hello everyone. And welcome into another edition of coach time on the believe network. I'm your host, John Lyons. And I am lucky today because I am joined by new Patriots beat writer, Taylor Kyles of CLNS media. If you don't know Taylor, you should because he is great with film breakdown, great with coverage across the NFL and especially of course the new England Patriots. So Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, John. I'm grateful to be on. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, I think it's fair to say we had a pretty exciting week. Maybe not what people expected necessarily, but I thought uh, it was pretty entertaining, and the pass did a good job.
0: Yeah, I agree. And so I just want to start off with your general thoughts so far in their offseason, because this is a team that they go ten and seven two years ago. Then this year is a mm-hmm. really big step backwards. They go eight and nine, miss the playoffs. They have that really dysfunctional offensive coaching setup that gets mm-hmm. changed. But coming off this eight and nine campaign to me this is a pivotal offseason you got mac jones going into his third year you have a team that hasn't won a playoff game since super bowl 53 so just what they've done so far coaching play player acquisitions everything what do you think of their offseason so far
1: yes i'm going to use a little bit of a cheat sheet so yesterday i tweeted out that it's important not to necessarily always listen to what national media thinks or what you know certain radio hosts may think about where the all season's going because there seem to be you know, a section of Pats fans, that aren't really happy with what's been going on. They think they haven't been aggressive enough, you know, this, that, and the other. But I would argue that Belichick has had a sneaky, fantastic offseason. Now, obviously, last offseason, they had to deal with the mass exodus of the coaching staff. Now, Belichick did not handle it well. He owned up to it. But even still, I don't think there was a lot for them to do with everybody that they lost just kind of getting the rug pulled out from under them in the Patriots perspective. Uh, But this year, the coaching additions were fantastic. And I really think that's the biggest boost that they got. So obviously Bill O'Brien was, I think, the biggest signing they made of the entire offseason because he immediately raises the floor just because he ensures that the offense will be competent. They will be much more disciplined and they won't have – the you know the blandness or the lack of coordination or intention that we saw last year now with Bill O'Brien he likes to use different formations he likes to use different alignments to give guys advantages he makes life easier but he's also great for a quarterback like Mac Jones who you know reports were that you know uh, coaches weren't yelling at him last year and frankly it's just because Mac is such a competitor that at times he gets too much in his own head and especially when he doesn't have a mentor like a Josh McDaniels who can kind of recenter center him and who he can have faith in to be able to say, hey, look, I've got experience with great quarterbacks. I'm, I have a proven track record. Follow me and we'll be okay. Last year we saw he clashed a lot with Patricia. At least that's what was reported. And there was a lot of it that was involved with Belichick, and it just was not a healthy situation. With O'Brien, you have somebody that can push Mac but have the credentials where he's actually motivated and he wants to do better. And O'Brien will be able to get the best out of him because he's also a quarterback's coach. So, again, Bill O'Brien was the biggest signing they made. And then the second biggest was Adrian Clem. You know, you replace Matt Patricia in two foul swoops. Adrian Clem, he's not quite as proven in the NFL, but he was fantastic for Oregon last year. They had one of the best rushing attacks and offensive lines in college football. He, one, brings familiarity because he came up in a Dante Skarniecki scheme. And one thing that you noticed in the Patriots a lot, especially with Trent Brown and the tackle situation with Isaiah Wynn as well, was a lack of cohesion. Uh, Skarneke always said, see everything through five sets of eyes. And that was not the case consistently. Now, Adrian Clem, I think makes Trent Brown better because there's not that confusing system they tried to invent last year with the offensive line. He can kind of bring it down to something that everyone will understand. Cole Strange gets better because he has dedicated mentorship with someone who has experience. And then obviously on Weno and Andrews as veterans, Riley reef, if he is the starting right tackle, those guys, you know, he'll be able to bring the best out of them. as someone who has the experience knowing how to maximize their skill sets. And then Gerard Mayo. This is one of the sneakiest things that people don't really talk about, but he very well be may very well may be the Patriots' next head coach once Belichick retires, and they thought they were going to lose him. So the Patriots, especially on that defensive side of the ball, the retentions they've made outside of McCourty's obvious retirement were fantastic. Then you got the offensive additions like Gesicki, James Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, guys who are still very young, have proven track records in the NFL, and that they got below market value. So I really don't see, and Chris Board, I know special team signings don't necessarily excite people, but he was someone that Belichick called the best special team where they faced last year. So I don't really know how you look at this offseason and say, what are they doing? You know, could they add another receiver that gives you enough juice that scares defenses rather than, you know, we have a bunch of number twos, but we're going to have the best mismatches and we're going to do that? Absolutely, but you also have to look at who's available. And unless Judy really is available for a second and a player, there just isn't really anyone on the market who seems like they would one want to necessarily come to the Patriots with how uneven their offense was last year, or someone the Patriots are willing to pay, considering they still have the foreign teeth pick and could very well choose someone like Zay Flowers if they felt that need had to be met.
0: Yeah, and you bring up a lot of good points. I want to start with the coaching situation because I think you, you brought up a couple interesting things. First of all. When the Patriots won Super Bowl 53, to me, they had the best coaching staff in the NFL that year. Oh, yeah. Whereas oh, last yeah. year, they really probably only had one assistant that people were like, oh, that guy's a star. And that was Gerard Mayo. And in mm-hmm. all due respect to the Kaylee And the Cayley as well. Yeah. And all due respect to DeMarcus Covington, I think he will be a great coach. But he's still a newer coach in the NFL. I think mm-hmm. over time – I do think he's a future head coach. But yeah. I think really – those were the only guys that people looked at as oh, that those are high-level assistants. Now you have O'Brien. And even though you mentioned Adrian Clem, not as much NFL experience, they still have a real offensive line coach, which they did mm-hmm. not have last year. And I found it odd that they changed their protection schemes last year without a dedicated offensive line coach. That kind of I didn't think that made a lot of sense. So I think now. We'll probably see them go back to their older protection schemes, but with an offensive coordinator that knows it inside and out and an offensive line coach who has literally played in that system. So he knows them inside and out as well. And I think that'll make a big difference to me. And I think one of the things you mentioned the word competent, and and I've used that word as well before, and it's too, you never want to use that word when you're talking about a goal for an NFL team, but really (laughs) last year. And I mean, we, we could sit here and go through every Baltimore. They're up 30. They're down 31, 26. They have the ball twice. They turn it over both times. Green Bay first and 10 at the 50 in overtime. Can't get a first down. They don't win the game. Minnesota. They go absent in the fourth quarter on offense. Can't win. And again, I know they gave up the kick return then, but it just felt like if they had had a competent offense, the Cincinnati game, if they had had a competent offense, they're probably a playoff team. And if they also didn't have woeful special teams, they were probably a playoff team. As well, And I think one thing I hope the Bill O'Brien hire can do is help them start a little faster. I mean, last year, they only scored two opening drive touchdowns, and the first one wasn't until Thanksgiving night. They punted mm-hmm. 10 times on their opening drive. Seven of those 10 were three and outs. So I, I hope they can start faster. And they can, I mean, I think the only time they played 60 minutes of good offensive football was probably when they played Cleveland, start to mm-hmm. finish. And even that, there was a couple dry spells in that game. But I think that was the only... 60 minutes of good offensive football so for you when you look at this coaching staff i know they're going to be competent they're going to be better but what do you think the ceiling this coaching staff can bring on offense and you can throw in the defensive stuff too but what do you think they can what ceiling do you think they can reach with this system returning to the bill o'brien form
1: Well, I believe the defense was top three last year in DVOA. I'm not really a stats guy. I think I heard that somewhere. But even just watching them, they were good. I know there's a narrative that they never do well against elite quarterbacks. And while I think in the past there's definitely been some weight to that, um, I also think last year they were better than people expect. Like the Lamar Jackson game, for example. He had two touchdowns where you're just saying – that's Lamar Jackson. He's a Lamar freaking Jackson. Hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. There was the touchdown to Mark Andrews where he just went up over D-Mac and got it. And then the like pinpoint one, I think it was Prochet against Miles Bryant. You know, so I think the defense is still going to be one of the best in the league. Again, the retentions were huge. And McCordy brought up a pretty interesting point uh, yesterday. Jalen Mills brought it up before he got cut. But they both kind of hinted towards more of a positionless secondary, which can manifest in a bunch of ways. But I think the most straightforward is when you have Phillips and Duggar, you know, uh, playing deep, you don't really know who's dropping down. You may know that the Patriots, okay, they're very single high heavy. We know, you know, what the actual play is going to be. But there was even McCourty said when I was on the team, everybody knew that I was the free safety. There was no there was no confusion about it. But now they have that level of unpredictability where you don't really know what exactly the safeties are going to do. Although I do think Miles Bryant is going to end up slating into more of the free safety role when they play pure cover one. And it's like, we're not trying to disguise. We just need the guy who we feel is the best last line of defense for us. Um, So we had to get defense first. I think they're going to be fine. Offensively is where you see more of the changes. Obviously you got Kisicki, you got Juju, you got James Robinson, a lot of guys replacing people who are really familiar names that people may have liked. But what I think this staff does, again, is you have a lot of guys who aren't seen as primary receivers in the NFL. You know, they're usually second fiddle to someone, where Juju Belichick was saying, like, when he was with A.B., he said, this is an elite, elite player. But obviously that changes. it. Offenses are specifically looking out for Juju rather than dedicating attention to Antonio Brown. Then, oh, Juju's open underneath, and then he has a 40-yard game because he's great after the catch. So I think what this does is it gives you one, again, with Juju and someone like James Robinson, although I don't think he's really necessarily receiving back. He may be along the mold of like a Rex Burkhead where he, he can do a little bit of both, but you have more explosive playmakers where Gesicki is more of a guy down the seam, but Juju and James Robinson can make plays underneath. They're physical. They can break tackles. They're tough to bring down. And uh, O'Brien's going to be able to exploit that again with formations where what they love to do when they go empty is they'll put uh, their best guy in the middle who's good after the catcher who they think is the quickest and they'll get him against the linebacker if it's zone coverage just because that's how the alignments tend to work out, then you got a really bad mismatch or you've got a safety or a nickel corner on Mike Gesicki who's six foot six and has a ridiculous catch radius and brings in anything that's, you know, in the area code as cliche as that phrase is so. I think you have someone who can take all of these proven players. Again, I think that's the key. These are proven players in the NFL where they have had productive seasons and rather than projecting someone like a Johnny Smith, like they did where, yeah, you know, he's had a lot of impact, but he was more of a second fiddle when he was in Tennessee. What's going to happen in New England? It didn't pan out. Nelson Aguilar had one great season with the Raiders, which I was sold on. I was like, wow. Maybe he unlocked something different and it didn't pan out. Kendrick Bourne, he has all the talent in the world. You you know, the flashes, he looks like he could be a Pro Bowl talent. But for some reason, the coaches don't want to feed him the ball, even though he's clearly their most dynamic playmaker. So now you've got someone who's able to actually utilize all these talents, put them in position to succeed. And again, like you said, there were so many times last season where whether it be a false start, a hold, yeah. delay a game, so many forced or unforced errors where the team just shot themselves in the foot and it was like, hey, you did, the other team didn't beat you. You had a chance to win this game and put yourself out of position, like all the third and longs because of a yeah. false start on second and five, you know, things like that. So now at least you hope that they'll have the discipline where they don't hurt themselves. And if the Patriots weren't hurting themselves last year, they're making the playoffs. And I think they maybe go on a run. Because then that's when the teams that aren't really well coached start beating themselves and they don't know what to do in certain situations or they're not prepared enough to make the right decisions. And, yeah, the Patriots may not be as talented as the Jets, but, you know, all it takes is one guy on the Jets to make a mistake. And then, well, the Patriots won the game and they're going on, you know, the AFC championship next year. So I kind of bring that up because there's been a lot of talk about the rosters. Now the Patriots are fourth. Talent wise, yes, they're fourth. But that doesn't mean anything until the pads are on.
0: Yeah, and I agree. Like talent-wise they're fourth, but there's also two more months until the after the draft and there's t- plenty of times to make additions. And I also mm-hmm. think that the Patriots missed the playoffs and I agree with you. It was largely their own fault. All yep. the unforced errors, special teams cost them two games, their it's offense so probably cost yeah. them two to 3. I mean, really, if they just win the games that they don't screw up, they're at least a 10-game winning team. They're a 10-game mm-hmm. winner and, and maybe even 11. And I think Last year, the Patriots offense, there's always two things you can look at to know whether an offense is good or not third down in the red zone. And those aren't the only two stats. But to me, I always look at those first. They were Mm -hmm. near the bottom in the league in the red zone all year, and they ranked 27th in third down conversion percentage. And, Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the Patriots defense at times has had trouble defending better quarterbacks. Well, the Patriots offense also gave Lamar Jackson a bunch of extra possessions with turnovers Mm -hmm. with three and outs and they did it all year. So I think that alone is going to help the entire team because a, the offense is going to score more points, which is obvious, but B your defense is less exposed. Your special teams is less exposed. And I think that's going to help them. I mean, go back to the Raiders game. We all remember the Jacoby Myers lateral and, and how bad that was, but, they, they had a block part in that game. They also yeah. had a series where they had two touchdowns taken off the board. One, they called a timeout and the other, they had a penalty yeah. in the same series. So yeah. Okay. Everybody remembers the Stevenson and Myers play, but if they don't give up a fourth and 10 right after the two minute warning on defense, they win that game anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and the earlier plays. So I think you're right about shooting themselves in the foot and how, if they can just get away from that, they're going to be a lot better, not just record wise, but come, the key moments, the key games, the playoff games, and I want to get to the roster because you mentioned they're fourth talent-wise right now, and I agree with you. But I really like the Juju Smith Schuster and the Mike Kosecki signings mm-hmm. because I think both of them are dynamic players. And frankly, like I think Smith Schuster is an upgrade over Jacoby Myers, and I love Jacoby Myers. I think the undrafted free agent to best receiver, or most productive receiver on the team, it's an awesome story, but. They both average just under 12 yards per reception. Their baseline's Mm -hmm. kind of the same. And Juju Smith Schuster, at the height of his powers, I think the ceiling is just higher than it is for Jacoby Myers. And it's, you mentioned it's a guy that can make a play underneath and take a ball for 40 yards after the catch. And also with Gasicki, I think, you know, he's not going to scare anyone in the run game. Great slot seam type player so those two stick out to me but when Mm -hmm. you look at their roster what do you think of those two signings and then some of the other
1: moves they've made to address the roster as well well you mentioned third down in red zone for first of all in the red zone you got hunter henry who was fantastic with mcdaniels obviously he got hurt which people didn't know at the time so it just seemed like he'd fallen off a cliff and then you find out after the season the guy got surgery and then he wasn't even healthy until midway last season but even then for some reason, Patricia never tried to use him in the red zone, despite the fact the guy still leads the team in touchdowns over the past two years. He has 11. I think the next closest person has six. I think it's Jacoby. Um, so we already had Hunter Henry. Now you also have Mike Gesicki, who once you're in the red zone, when they're in 12 personnel, maybe Gesicki doesn't scare you, but it's way more likely they're actually going to run in that situation. And then, you know, if you want to get fun with it, remember when uh, the Patriots used to do that thing with the uh, was it Matt Mulligan uh, where they would spread out when they were in the heavy run formation. Then you just yeah. get an ISO on a big guy on a little guy like, Oh, Scott Chandler. That's what I'm thinking of Scott Chandler. But that's the kind of thing they can do with the yeah. where based on whatever the formation is or what the defensive tendencies are, there's really not a lot of guys other than cornerbacks who can sufficiently cover Mike Gasicki in the red zone again, because of his ball skills and his size. So the red zone offense immediately got significantly better. You could also throw James Robinson into that mix where you say, okay, Robinson's a guy who can convert on get some of the big places. Damian Harrison, got. he can Damian Harris. I'm sorry. Um, The contact balance after where, you know, if it's a push to the goal line, he can actually get in there. Juju isn't as much of a red zone guy, or I don't believe he's been in his career, but he's got the size and the ability after the catch where, you know, he'd be competent. And then when you say third downs Juju, and what he gives you after the catch is significant because he turns the, okay, it's third and six. We're going to throw it to you like two yards underneath. And not only is he gonna get the first down, it's gonna be an explosive game that you didn't even expect. And this the comparison with Jacoby is kind of difficult because Jacoby was their slot guy and their Z. Whereas like in the heyday, you know, it was mostly like Edelman Z and Amendola in the slot. You know, there's slightly different roles where you're outside more and you know, in base personnel. Jacoby would get those digs, the crossers, the corners against the soft zone coverage. And as much as, you know, he was fantastic with his quickness at the top of the route to get the separation and be able to make those catches easier – you weren't getting a lot after it, and it's not the hardest thing to do in the NFL to be off coverage as long as, you know, you're maximizing your skill set well and you have the advantage of early downs. The defense doesn't necessarily know what's coming. Taekwon Thornton gives you that outside where what Jacoby did where he can win as more of a perimeter guy or even on those crossing routes. Tyquan Thornton has the quickness and the speed to not only separate but be able to pull away. That frees you up to let Juju just be the underneath guy. His average up the target was, I think, half of what Jacoby's was last year. Like, he is an underneath guy. He's got the ability to go downfield. I don't want to say he doesn't because he's still a big body who makes contested catches. But where you want him is more as your outlet guy, kind of like what they had with Jonu. But Jonu wasn't a good enough receiver to warrant being on the field in obvious pass situations. So now you got Taekwondo, You got Devontae Parker. You got Kendrick Bourne, who can threaten downfield. And oh, look at that. I've got Juju Smith-Schuster as a check down, and he's going to get my big play. So, those guys really shore up a lot of the things that just made life harder on the Patriots offense. And that's going to make Mac Jones better, where, you know, Brady was at his best, obviously, amazing playmaker, did what he needed to, and has all these fantastic plays. But most of Brady's brilliance was not making the game harder than it needed to be. Like that legendary clip of uh, Ray Lewis in the top 100, where he talks about how Brady threw a check down on like a third down in the Super Bowl, his first Super Bowl, instead of throwing it downfield, like a lot of guys would do in that situation because they want it to be about them. Sometimes you just want to make life easy on your quarterback. Yeah. And I think Gasicki and Juju and James Robinson is a back who has some dynamicism himself. They give you that.
0: Yeah. And I love your point about Juju Smith-Schuster on third down because Jacoby Myers had 18 catches that converted third downs and it was the most on the Patriots. But again, they were still near the bottom of the league in third downs. I think that extra element is huge. Stay tuned on coach time on the Believe Network. I'm your host, John Lyons. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with more from Taylor Kyles right after this. We're talking with Taylor Kyles of CLNS media covers the Patriots. Always a pleasure to speak with Taylor and beyond smith schuster in gasicki which i agree with you i think that addresses a lot of the issues they had offensively third down red zone it does help there what do you think they need to do next though because i think this is a team that although they're fourth in the AFC east in talent i don't think the gap is that huge Mm -hmm. if they can get the draft right the rest of free agency if they make any trades if they can get it right i think they can quickly get to a point where they're maybe not on Buffalo's level, but they're mm-hmm. on the level of Miami or ahead of Miami or the Jets. So what do you think they need to do the rest of this off season in order to bridge that talent gap?
1: Well, I think the most important thing and Riley reef is someone who I think would be a fine starter, but I think durability, not because of necessarily injury, but just because he's 34 years old. Yeah. I don't know if you want him starting an entire NFL season. I'd love to see them get someone like a Darnell Wright in the draft, who you can plug and play and say, you know, I think they have the flexibility now to go later, which is nice because like we said earlier, there's no gaping holes. So they don't have to necessarily get plug and play starters, but that's the one position where I think if they can get that and they don't have to rely on Riley reef, that makes them significantly, significantly better. You don't have to keep Hunter Henry in to chip and, you know, do all those things as much. You can actually get guys out in the route. And he's also just someone that you can legitimately leave on an Island, be dominant in the run game, man. I have thought about him next to Mike on Wenu and it is just it's music it's poetry what they would do next to each other um so yeah I think right tackle is really their biggest area that needs to be uh, addressed um just going on offense again I think they could still use that guy that really scares a defense on his own where you know when you even even when you do have all the number 2s who can create really tough mismatches they scare you even more because they're like, well, we can't pay extra attention to Mike Kosicki on, you know, third down when they go out and empty because Zay Flowers, I hope. Zay Flowers is in the slot and can really scare you. As good as Juju is, Zay is a different level. Like he, he's been drawing some Antonio Brown comps. And while I'm not someone who likes to make such lofty comparisons or publicize them without a hard asterisk, that guy can play inside or outside despite the fact that he's small because of his quickness, his explosiveness uh the fact that he's a fantastic downfield tracker of the ball he can make tough catches where he's going through defenders to get to the ball and make catches he's someone i think if you get him at 14 maybe too rich for some people's blood i think he could be a pro bowler in your system and it's worth it so i i do think they still need that guy and then the biggest thing i'd say would be that long boundary corner and I'm not glad even necessarily, you said that thank yeah. you so
0: i've been saying that For months, sorry to cut you off, but (laughs) I'm so glad that you, because to me, like coming into this offseason, all I wanted as a Patriots fan is an answer at right tackle Mm -hmm. and a long outside corner. Because look, I'm a huge Jonathan Jones supporter. I'm glad they re-signed him. I think he's the best slot corner in the NFL when he's in the slot. Mm -hmm. And I thought last year when he moved outside, overall, he did really well. But when did he struggle when he played Justin Jefferson and Stefan Diggs, who are, mm-hmm. look, two guys that are elite receivers are going to make plays anyway. But to me, it was two guys that were just as athletic as him and they were bigger. And that yeah. was, the, I think, what gave him some trouble. So the outside corner, like I know you've tweeted about Rocky Sin. I would love for them to sign him. I think that, that would be a gross. great fit. And he played zone quite a bit in Indy, but then in vegas i mean patrick graham was the dc that's a patriot Mm -hmm. style system like i think that would be a great fit but of those that you like you mentioned receiver and zay flowers you mentioned right tackle you mentioned corner when you look at the 14th overall pick let's say they keep that pick or even if they trade down but they still pick in the first round is there one of those three that you put a priority on for them to address
1: I think they're in a position where it's still best player available. Like in in the thing about corner is that if they walked into the season with the Joneses as their starters and Miles Bryant kind of like, if that was the same secondary as last year, I didn't. Jalen Mills is such a spot starter. You know, I didn't even really think of him as part of the equation outside of like more of a Devontae Parker where if he's healthy, that's great, but you just can't pencil him in for 10 games um but oh my god I got sidetracked for a second but yeah I think they put themselves in a position where they can still go best player available because their corners are fine they're gonna struggle against big receivers but that's also why those guys get paid like they're still making those plays you'd hope that at least you know 30 percent of those uh contested grabs are actually incompletions rather than being just tough catches for the opponent right um but yeah if it's like 14 that's where if you got someone like a Christian Gonzalez Joey Porter Jr. Zay Flowers pull the trigger. I'm happy. If, you know, those guys aren't there or maybe they think they can get better, better value later then if you're going to trade in the, like maybe the twenties Darnell, right. And like, I'm not thinking about it twice. Those are the guys in the first round where I say, or it really, there's so many freak tackles in this draft who are at least either plug and play starters or have the potential to be really good. And they just get the right coaching situation. I, I think there's a lot of flexibility, but they've got so many options, especially in the second pick as well. There's a lot of good guys they can get. So Best player available, but like I said, there are certain guys early on, like a Zay, like a Gonzalez, or a Porter Jr., where if they're there, you got to pull the trigger.
0: Last question for you, Taylor, and thank you for taking the time. Beyond the Patriots, when you look around the rest of the NFL, have there been any signings, trades that have really stood out to you that you think are going to make a huge impact next year for their respective
1: teams? Well, I mean, look in the division. you got to say Jalen Ramsey. I think yeah. David Long is going to be a really underrated player for them because the Dolphins have had – Landon Roberts has been a really good linebacker for them. Obviously, former Patriot. We know what he can do. But that spot next to him was never very consistent. You never had production or anybody there that really scared you. Like Jerome Baker is solid, but he's not a great player. David Long Jr. is someone who can do everything and who, when you look at especially they have Xavier Howard, they've got uh, Jalen Ramsey, they've got Javon Holland, all these great DBs. Your thought is, okay, let's try to attack middle of the field. That's not going to be so easy with someone like David Long Jr. So I think those are significant additions. And obviously you can't ignore Aaron Rodgers yeah. going to the Jets reportedly. Obviously there's still the compensation thing that needs to be worked out. But I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is in your division you're playing him twice, that's tough. That's you know, are yeah, not, not going to be Zach great. Wilson or Mike White games. So, uh, yeah, I think those are the two biggest ones. And those are the biggest reasons I think the Patriots really, they were number three in talent. And then with Rodgers, it's just like, all right, all right. <laughs> and now until the Pats come on and we see what happens, obviously you got you, you to gotta say that they're a legitimate threat for the first time in a long time, especially with that defense. And I also really like their coaching staff. So a lot of potential there.
0: Any prediction on where Lamar Jackson goes?
1: No idea. This is such a weird situation. I just hope that – it works out in his interest because you know i don't want to just throw the c word out there but i mean this it seems quite uh <laughs> it's a little odd yeah it's it's okay. it's a weird situation that even former players and current players are like that th- you all are out on a former unanimous mvp all yeah. at the same time that's peculiar so yeah i i don't even have any predictions i just hope it works out for lamar
0: i agree i i hope he I, I- I'm telling you, like, there's so many teams that would be way better. I mean, if I'm the Detroit Lions and Lamar Jackson's my QB, I, I'm, I'm in the NFC Championship game, you yeah. know, and that's just that's just one team off the top of my head. I mean, if I'm the Jets, I'd rather get Lamar Jackson than Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, I, I don't know. That's it, it is interesting. Well, he is Taylor Kyles of CLNS Media, covers the Patriots. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him on CLNS. He does an awesome job for them. Great follow as well. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Thank you, John. Appreciate you, man.
0: Thank you. That's it for today's episode. A huge thank you to Taylor Kyles for joining us of CLNS Media. He does an awesome job. We're gonna have a lot to get to on our next episode, which is gonna be a full breakdown of the first week of NFL free agency and every signing I liked and maybe some I didn't like. So be sure to like and subscribe this podcast. Also follow me on Twitter at the Real John Lyons and stay tuned for our next episode coming out soon.